Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Do you want to go to rugby heaven? Let's go back to 1987 with Squidge. With Let's go back to 87 with Squidge. Hello, welcome back. We're back. It's time once again for the Squidge Rugby World Cup Retrospective. And once again, as ever, we will be covering a World Cup that took place in New Zealand. We will be covering a World Cup that was eventually won by a team. I couldn't possibly tell because the only part of history I know was 2011, uh, when New Zealand won the World Cup. Who knows who won it in 1987, which is the year we will be covering now. Welcome to the second full series of the Squid Rugby World Cup Retrospective, where we will be looking back and covering... Every single game from the first Rugby World Cup in 1987. Uh, I am Robbie or Squidge or whatever you want to call me. I am joined as ever by the one, the only... Mr. Will Owen, uh, who... For those of you who are joining this podcast for the first time, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, I happen to be your brother, Robbie. And, um, no, you happen to be the listener's brother. I happen to be the listener's <laughs> yeah. brother. It's a huge plot twist right from the off. We're only going to get deeper. Yeah, uh, basically, I I pretend to know about rugby for Rugby Pass and uh, other such websites. Rugby World. So you know, yeah, and yeah, stuff. and stuff yeah. like that. But like you're doing. I own. I only have to pretend to myself that I know about rugby and then put it out. Yeah, because right? people will click you, on it. <laughs> like people, you've managed to convince people to hire you on the basis that you know about rugby. Yeah, but so, like, you're clearly better at convincing people than I am. I don't think so though, because I, I I think I've probably just bullied the Squidge brand name a little bit and just kind of gone, oh yeah, by the way, I'm involved in this, and people have gone, okay, and that's just kind See, of been no, it. I I am just a charlatan and a liar. Um, so. People who remember our first episode, our first ever episode on 1987, uh, no, on 2011, right? Yeah. Um, Already getting we'll, your wires crossed, that's good. <laughs> yeah. We'll remember that I began by asking both of us, where were we in 2011? So I want to ask you the same question, Mr. Will Owen. Yeah. Uh, where were you in 1987? What were you up to? How old were you? I was minus 10. I was not mm. yet a twinkle in either of our parents' eyes. Yes. And, I mean... You know, our parents probably hadn't met. Well, they were probably quite a long way off meeting. They hadn't met. Um, Yeah, at the time, I was a collection of particles floating around Swansea somewhere, hoping to one day become a sperm. That was my real dream at the time. Yeah. You know, Congrats, by the way. I don't really like um, I did, yeah, yeah, give yeah, you enough credit it. for that. Like it took me like you did very it took well me like seven front. or eight years to get. Yeah, there. yeah. But eventually, I did. Eventually, I you know became a sperm. Yeah, and then just things got crazy from there. Yeah. like you won't believe what happened after that. It was pretty wild. It was just insane, bro. I'm I'm not going to ask for the details because I think I fucking know them. Correct choice of words. And man, um, it was it was good. 
Thank you, Father. So the opening game of the Rugby World Cup was between New Zealand and Italy, and that's what we're going to move on to. Yeah, and, this is a weird um, start to the podcast. I mean, I want to I want to take some time to talk about the Rugby World Cup in general, and you know this kind of event of them kicking it off. But I do want to tease the game coming up <laughs> because <laughs> I I think if I were to sum the match up in a sound it'd be the one you just heard of me failing to understand and chuckling to myself so this is the most that we have ever spoken about a match before hitting the record button because we couldn't help but text each other constantly saying this is mental not saying what we're referring to but i think we always knew Mm. what we were referring to because this genuinely is the most I've enjoyed a game of rugby in a long time. Like I, I criticise a lot of people who've said, oh, rugby was so much better back in my day. And you know what? You were right. I think it's only better in hindsight, though. It's, it's like, better because it's so crap. You, like, we'll get onto this. Yeah. But like, can you imagine watching this game at the time and taking it seriously? Yeah, that's it. So that's it's great that we're watching this back as a novelty. And we did that for 2011, yeah, exactly. which we remember watching seriously. And we yeah. watched it semi-seriously, don't get me wrong. But the reason why we picked the 1987 World Cup is because we know that's where the rugby is going to be the most crap, right? And yes. for this series, we won't do spoiled or anything but we have some guests lined up that we've kind of picked because we know that they will enjoy talking about that kind of rugby you know yeah, uh, that's yeah, yeah. kind of the the vibe that we're going for for this series absolutely um so before we get on to new zealand italy itself i want to just offer some background so this was the first ever rugby world cup match uh the first time it ever happened they did pitch a rugby world cup in the 60s uh it was due to happen then um, but the home nations all decided against it, all hated the idea, and the whole thing got shut down and vetoed. It's a terrible idea. And basically, yeah, it was a really bad idea. The RFU were absolutely dead against it and basically bullied their younger brothers into saying no as well. Um, and at the time, there was only seven nations on the Rugby World Council. Um, and so uh, if the home nations didn't like something, then no, you know, it, it was impossible for it to happen. Sure. Um, the Rugby World Cup was then pitched again by... Now, this is something extraordinary, right? Do you want to know who the, the reason the Rugby World Cup exists? Uh, no. <laughs> Great. End of podcast. Uh, no, so it was originally pitched by Australia repeatedly. Then New Zealand tried to pitch it as well. And eventually, uh, it was pitched by a man called Neil Durden-Smith. Okay. Right? This this name rings a bell. Where- where do you recognise the surname Durden Smith? So is he the is he of relation to Mark Durden Smith, the ITV presenter? He is the father of okay. Mark Durden Smith. Okay. The yeah, now, you know, David Flatman's wife and host of formerly host of the rugby highlights show. He was the man who pitched the Rugby World Cup and he was the first like British person to say, Actually I think this is a good idea wow. in nineteen eighty two. Um at which point the IOB then held a full meeting a few months later. Uh, in which, you know, everyone was then on far more on board. Okay, yeah. And it led to things snowballing. They were talking about holding it for the following year, for 1983. Right. Um, it didn't happen then. But teams began to be won over a bit. Eventually, New Zealand put forward a proposal for it to take place in 1985. Again, they ended up sort of not doing that. I think it was, you know, that's the Olympics and so on. And, yeah, New Zealand and Australia put forward a joint bid in the end, and he was starting to come around on it. Right. But it ended up in this, like, deadlock where it looks like it wasn't going to happen because once again the home nations were against it and at the time there were eight countries voting however just when it looked like it wasn't going to happen for 1987 south africa who weren't going to be allowed in but still had a vote at the table 
said, even though we're not going to be there, we want this event to happen. Even though you're not going to invite us, we want this to happen. South Africa got the deciding vote. And then after, you know, that swung on that, you know, and it looked like it was suddenly going to happen. England and Wales both went, actually, we wanted it to happen the whole time. Actually, we want to be in the Rugby World Cup. It's going to be really cool. It's going to be really good. It's going to be really good. Um, so we have Mark Durden-Smith's dad and South Africa to find the Rugby <laughs> World Cup happening. I've just checked. So Mark Durden-Smith was 19 mm. at the time of this World Cup. So wow. he will have spent his adolescence hearing his dad rant on about the fact that the rugby superpowers should be knocking lumps out of each other, which, you know, is is a pretty cool way to spend your teenage years. Yeah. Do you imagine, like, he's just started uni? And I'll tell you what, like, and... I was 19 when my dad left me, so, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can't really complain. Like, you know, my dad wasn't proposing mad ideas about regional rugby or anything. Yeah, what if we look back in a few years' time and find out that our dad started like the lacrosse world cup and we just weren't paying attention maybe he has maybe maybe he set that up maybe our dad's phil bb and just had radical (laughs) ideas about rugby his his name came into my head as well i was i was wondering how to make a joke about that so you've you've beat me to that one um it's also bodes really well for this podcast that we both thought of that joke so um, the World Cup, yeah, was due to take place split between Australia and New Zealand. Right. Uh, Australia pulled out at the last minute, meaning that all the games suddenly had to be hosted in New Zealand. And we will see some of the grounds that New Zealand had to fall back on over the course of this World Cup. Because <laughs> some of them are like properly, uh, what you call, let's say provincial grounds. To be sure. Kind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so New Zealand took over full hosting of the tournament, 1987, and they <laughs> invited... So there was no qualifying for this first competition. It was invitation only. Uh, very controversially, Samoa, who were like the 10th best team in the world, weren't invited. <laughs> they just didn't want them there. They just went there a bit nasty. New Zealand maybe thought they posed a threat because they'd poach all of their players. Yeah. All Wales were worried about it happening again. Very true. You know, yeah. They saw Western it, it, Samoa. Yeah. Like, no, we could probably in take the past. them. But yeah. full, all the Samoa. Yeah. Oh. So yeah, so we end up with you know, the 16 teams who end up competing in this World Cup. Uh, so the 10, well, I suppose now, you know, now the, the tier one nations. So New Zealand, Australia, uh, Argentina, no South Africa is the big notable one who, you know, obviously for apartheid reasons, they were being boycotted. Yeah. Um, the six nations, as they were, if they hadn't joined yet. At one point during this game, at the end of this game, the commentator describes this, if they playing the opening match of the World Cup, as the biggest day in the history of Italian rugby. I mean, it kind of was at the time, I suppose. Like, yeah. I've, so just before we started recording, I checked. So to quickly skip ahead, like Italy mm. have a fly half called Rodolfo Ambrosio making his test yes. debut in this game. He was a lot of fun for reasons we'll come on to. But his last ever test match was a couple of years later in a loss to the Soviet Union. <laughs> wow. 15-12. So, it's interesting you mentioned that. The Soviet Union were also invited, but they were the only team who turned it down. Oh, okay. The Soviet Union were invited, but turned it down on political grounds, allegedly because they didn't want to play against South Africa, who weren't invited. Right, okay. So by not going, they made themselves but, more likely to play against South Africa. Yeah, but also, when have the USSR ever been the principled yeah. team on the basis of, you know, like, very true race and cultural background? Sure. But there we go. Yeah. So yeah, the USSR invited didn't go. Western Samoa were not invited. So yeah, the, the invited teams, Argentina, Fiji, Italy, Canada, Romania, Tonga, Japan and Zimbabwe in the United States, who, you know, went along and all had a perfectly nice time in New Zealand. 
uh, leading us to this opening game. It's a real shame that I couldn't find footage of the opening ceremony because I've seen some photos of it. I, I did have to kind of write down, like, is the opening ceremony just the president of the NZRU shaking random people's hands? Because that's no, kind of how it the, felt. The There's photos out there of the opening ceremony. Right. Uh, it was some kids from a local school walking banners across the pitch. <laughs> okay. And about four people came in early to see it. Right. And it's a real shame I couldn't find footage of it. It sounds advanced. Because it looks... You remember, like, when we were kids and they do, like, a, a Chinese New Year parade around sure. the a small town? Yeah. Yeah, that was higher budget <laughs> than the opening ceremony of the Rugby World Cup. Oh, th- that's, that's pretty remarkable, to be fair. But, like, the thing is, you'd think... Because New Zealand's always been so, like, rugby-obsessed, you know, that mm. you'd, you, you'd wonder, would they be, go a bit more at market than that? But it was 1987, you know. First ever World yeah. Cup, they'll take what they can get. I mean, the commentator um, at the start of the, the you know, as you say, when the president of the European Union go around shaking everyone's hands, and he does a lot of shaking hands, yeah. and the commentator, as like, I think a, an act of, look at me, I know my shit, just starts rattling off everyone who shakes hands names. And fair play, he, he recognised them all by face, including the Italians. Yeah, yeah. And like, I will, I, I, I will happily let you know, I had not heard of a single player from this Italian team. No, I don't. I'd heard of virtually all of the New Zealand ones, but when it came to Italy, I did not recognise any of these names. But yeah, he then says, "So all the hoopla of international sport finally comes to New Zealand," which is a great way of describing the start of the third biggest sporting event in the world. (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it is. At the end of the day, this whole thing is just hoopla, isn't it? And we are jumping on that bandwagon by doing a podcast about it. We are jumping through hooplas. Um, Can I also point out my favourite thing about this game? Go on. It kicked off at 3pm on a Friday. (laughs) Do you know, they had a decent audience there to say everyone was at work or skiving off. No one's in for kickoff. Like, it fills up as the game goes on, because people suddenly finish work. The cheers get progressively louder as the All Blacks score more tries towards the end, which is kind of usually the opposite of how crowds go. Yeah, I didn't clock that that was the reason why. It was because people were just just clocking out of work. Yeah, and they were just popping along to say hi. And, like, you can see, when the game kicks off, there's loads of empty seats... Before before even the kickoff, some, so there's two things that really made me mm. laugh. So oh, there's so many. One of them is Italy all skipping around in circles and then realising they rapidly need to get into a huddle to sing half of their anthem. <laughs> no, this is it. No, they start setting up for the kickoff. They Italy start setting up for the kickoff. They all get into position. Then they start playing the Italian national anthem <laughs> and they all sprint back to halfway. <laughs> because <laughs> they didn't note and that's the thing like by the time they all get back together they're halfway through the anthem and then they don't even play the full no they, they play like they a verse of halfway it through. yeah so yeah then, so they the, they literally get to sing about four words the mind games then done. when New Zealand are like ah we're under your skin already lads we were prepared to sing our national anthem and guess what we're singing the full fucking thing and then they do the hacker, which is always great. So what I love about this, this genuinely made me cry with laughter. That the, the, the Italians then went to set off for the kickoff again and again start doing these little sprints together. And then the camera just cuts away and the, the commentator goes, oh, and the All Blacks are doing the hacker now. Yeah. And nobody noticed. Nobody was in the crowd. Exactly. And the Italians just did not notice until the All Blacks were already halfway through their hacker that it was happening. <laughs> 
<laughs> there was no ceremony whatsoever. They don't even do the, you know, like yeah, announcing yeah. it as it starts. And they like, just like, they're just midway through. The hacker is such a, a like, it's such a big moment, isn't it? That like, I, yeah. I love watching the hacker, you know, uh, mm. these days because there's so much build up around it. There's so much intimidation goes into it. And like, it's such it's such a brilliant art to see them, them come together and develop this really threatening war dance. And it's just brilliant because it just looks like, like, are these guys going to turn around and watch us? Like, it's a tough crowd today, isn't it? I was genuinely in fits of laughter at that. I also just enjoyed them doing the coin toss in the middle of the pitch. Yes! And they got... So they got... They got... And I don't know why they bothered. They got the coin from a test between New Zealand and England in 1925. And they got it back out to do the coin toss. I hope that coin is still kicking somewhere so it can yeah. do some URC hope- action, you know? <laughs> I hope so. I want Zebra versus Connick to be done it has with to. that coin. It has to. They should still be using it in World Cups or something, shouldn't they? They should use the same coin. Look, if they've committed this far, they might yeah. as well keep it going so there's at least some kind of weird... Yeah. Also, I've just seen on ESPN Scrum, apparently this game was attended by 20,000 people. Yeah, the commentator's 25 at one point, so right. I don't think they were really counting. Yeah. I think there were 25 I think people. Maybe it was... It was yeah. 20,000 at the start, then 5,000 knocked off work at four. Yeah, maybe so, actually. Yeah. <laughs> they wanted to get in happy hour before it started. Yeah, yeah. The commentator also, when the teams come out, says the virtually unknown style of the Italians. <laughs> Yet he recognises all of them by face. I mean, that's that, that's a, a bit of a compliment these days. Not in 1987, yeah. it's not. But if that was in 2021, it's pretty good to have a, an unknown style because it makes team mm. analysis very hard. He also, as they're then running out, says they look very nervous and uptight as to what is about to come for them. <laughs> That's quite cryptic, the way he says that. Which, yeah, it's funny that he thinks he words them like they're frightened children. Sure. When, for some reason, New Zealand's captain is a horny, terrified teenager. <laughs> There's, there's a lot of discourse surrounding David Kirk before this game kicks off. Yeah. Because uh, he said he keeps referring back to the fact that he was dropped as captain eight months beforehand, but yes. he also wasn't dropped because now he's captain again. And then at, at some point he says he's probably the third choice captain, but now Richard Lowe's retired and uh, it's not Sean Fitzpatrick it's... anymore. So No, it's uh, Jock Hobbs and Andrew Dalton was supposed oh, okay. to be ahead of him. Okay. Uh, Jock Hobbs retires just before the World Cup. I don't know why I said Richard Lowe, Jock Hobbs. I don't know why I got them confused. Yeah. yeah. But then Andrew Dalton gets injured just before the World Cup. And so they go into the World Cup with David Cook, who is the only one of those players who people remember the name of because he won clearly. the bloody World Cup. Yeah, clearly. Jock Hobbs' retirement and people still counting mm. it as, oh, yeah, yeah, that means he's third choice, even though he's retired. It's very much the yeah. same vibes as when Sam Warburton retired and everyone was like, oh, yeah, Ellis Jenkins has done really well to come in when he's second choice because of... Tipperick and yeah, also yeah. Warburton's retirement like people clinging on to that like you know part of the stages of grief it's the same vibe I think I just there's a I, David Kirk baffles me because obviously I've seen the photo of him the footage of him lifting the World Cup yeah I know he's a scrum half that's about the I don't know much about him. him no no he's one of those all black legends who seen... slips under the radar yeah and then you sort of see him in action and especially look at him in the post-match interview and he looks about 15. What I'll tell you, he's got the second creepiest smile of an ex-All Black captain ever. Behind Kieran, Kieran Reid. Yes. Kieran Reed. If only Damien McKenzie got there. Oh, that's true, actually. Hey, it's not too late. <laughs> but no, he looks like... David Kirk, when he smiles, 
looks like he's taking a family photo and his mum's told him to smile a bit. Yeah, sure. There, there is a bit of that vibe because I think he kind of realised there's probably a bit of a self-awareness to the fact that he's the first mm. ever Rugby World Cup captain for New Zealand at home, you know. But yeah, yeah. I don't know. Should, should we talk through the All Blacks just... team a bit more? David Kirk looks very awkward. Yeah. Yeah. So he is captain. He is scrum off and captain for the yeah. All Blacks. Yeah, to pick up on the rest of that All Blacks team. So, I mean, the, the standout name, I guess, is Grant Fox at 10 yeah. alongside. Yeah. Uh, you've got John Kerwin and Craig Green on the wings. Yeah. Uh, John... Joe Stanley, father of Benson. Yeah, um, of course. In centre. And Warwick um, Taylor, father of Tom. Mm. And John Gallagher, father of actor John Gallagher Jr., uh, presumably. Yeah. yeah Test Sean debut Patrick, for Gallagher as well. I thought it was a second cap. No, it's, it's, it's his first, it's according debut. to okay. ESPN Scrum. Also debut in the pack for the one and only Michael Jones. Yes, but that's not down on ESPN Scrum because he got one cap for Samoa the year before. <laughs> which I didn't know until wow. now. Yeah. Uh, Buck Shelford's in the pack as well. Yeah. Uh, Gary Wetton. You know, it's a it's a good... Yeah, it's, it's a really, good really good side. Like, they've left Zinzan Brook on the bench for, in yeah. front of Boscoe and stuff. And they couldn't use substitutions at this point, obviously. Of course, speaking of the bench, uh, Italy have Tito Tabaldi's uncle on the bench. Do they now? Yeah, Daniele Tabaldi. Yeah. yeah, I just looked this up before the game. Wow. Obviously, none of the substitutes are used in this game because they were only for injuries back then. Yeah. But Italy, they, they have... Mate. The Italian team. I, I say, I don't I know who any of these fellas are, already. but they I are looked, So I did fun. look up some stuff around their team. And I did look up kind of a thing on like... So supposedly the star players uh, were Marcelo Cutieta on the wing, right. uh, number 11 left wing, who I think touches the ball once uh, and shanks a kick into touch. <laughs> yes. About one in that's, that's, that's exactly what happens. Uh, he There's also Massioletti the on the other wing who catches the ball once and runs into touch. <laughs> Uh, Cutieta had been the top scorer in the Italian league two years in a row going into this. Okay, yeah. Okay. Uh, he was apparently like a real like standout, nippy, right, flying okay. winger. I also learned during this game that John Kerwin played for Treviso for a little bit uh, before yeah. this World Cup, uh, which is mental in pre-professionalism. Craig Green, the on the other wing, yeah. uh, then signed for Treviso after this World Cup. Right, okay. And still lives there. Oh, okay. That's interesting. He went on to play that out the rest of his career in Treviso. Oh, okay. That's cool. He basically got very stressed out by the fact that, you know, rugby was completely amateur in Italy. Uh, and he was, re- no, in New Zealand, sorry. Yeah. And he was really struggling to balance his work around playing for New Zealand. Right. Like the, you know, they, they won the World Cup and he was back in work the following morning. Right, um, okay, yeah. And yeah, That's so, like, mental. he was really sort of fed up with the whole thing. That and Treviso that... basically offered him far more if lax you... stuff than like... Looking at how this game went, how mm. much do you think Kerwin and Green dominated the Italian leagues? Oh, yeah, you that imagine, must have been like, silly. <laughs> like Craig Green basically talked about the fact that like they bought him a house and so and you know all of the, right, like, okay. you know all of the stuff that they weren't allowed to do. You know, it's sure. the um, the Arthur Gold gambit. The Arthur Gold yeah. was the like former Wales centre and fullback who on after his last game for Newport, the Newport supporters all chipped in money and bought him a house as like a thank you gesture when rugby was amateur. Yeah, and he then got banned for life for having taken money. But by this point, the IRB was kind of, or the IRFU, as it was at the time, was kind of not the Irish turning a blind eye. Yeah, they were kind of like looking the other direction. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. To a lot of that kind of stuff. For context, by the way, I say look at how this game goes. The final score is New Zealand 70, Italy 6. Yeah. So Which... there's a lot of tries, and tries were worth four points at this point. So <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, do you want to know a fun fact? Go on. Uh, at the time, that was a record scoreline for the Rugby World Cup. Uh, it was, uh, it it was, was both... New Zealand's biggest ever win. So, yeah, but I was gonna, I was doing a joke because oh. it's the first ever World Cup match. Oh, wait, yeah. So, uh, yeah. That's pretty so good. So it's the, both the most and the least points anyone's ever scored. Mm. Yes. So, so should we talk about that? You're saying New Zealand's record? Yeah. So the commentator pulls out the stat uh, when New Zealand are at 41 points and says they're coming up on their record win, which is 42 points against England. Then they pass that and he says... Of course now, New Zealand are coming up on their record win, which is 50 points against the USA. And then they pass that, and he says they're now coming up on their record win, which is 64 points against Uruguay. <laughs> so probably wasn't actually their record win at this point. So it was, probably, because he couldn't look through the book and find another number fast enough. Okay, okay. But he just keeps changing, like, moving the goalposts, as it were. <laughs> So there were just other test win. matches happening somewhere else where <laughs> yeah. they were winning by slightly more. New Zealand, of course, the only team to ever lose two test matches on the same day. Huh. That wasn't happening here because apparently they won four games on the same day. Because, yeah, they changed their record scoreline four times over the course of the game. And that the Uruguay one, he goes, I've just had another look through the record book and I've found that actually they beat Uruguay 64 points in like 1926 <laughs> or something. That's incredible. And like he just missed it when he was looking through for the record scoreline. Oh, man. Amateurism is great. This commentator is a lot of fun. We'll, there's a lot yeah. more highlights of that oh, from this commentator so that we will get to. But we, we need to fly through this game, man, because we get to the kickoff. We're 25 minutes into this podcast now, but like the the very first thing that happens, I think this mental rugby's got a World Cup. Suddenly, <laughs> Italian fly off Ambrosio, first touch of international rugby, now is a 50 22, like 40 <laughs> years before that's a rule. No, no, but... no, 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 no. The first thing that happens is the All Blacks lose the first contact. That's true. They, they, <laughs> they get obliterated. Joe Stanley takes it into contact. Yeah. Like Italy hold him up, rip the ball back, pass it to Ambrosio. Yeah. As you say, making his first touch of his first cap. And he nails it into the 22. Like absolutely perfect spiral. It's brilliant. It's, yeah. it's fantastic. And then David Kirk gets it off the back of that line out and kicks it two metres forward. <laughs> so you know how everyone who played in the 80s and watched rugby in the 80s really hates box kicking? Yes. I, I saw that kick and got why. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's what they think of. They think of David Cook trying to box kick and just sending it, yeah, two metres sideways. Like, he gained an advantage of, I think, about one and a half metres from that li- where the line-out took place. Oh, yeah. And Italy got the ball. If he had fallen over, he would have made more ground. And then... When Italy get some throw-ins, they get some attacking field position, mm. they then think, right, okay, there's only one thing we can do here. And it turns out, so I've just looked this up, Italy were actually coached in this World Cup by age minus four, Ramil Geisin. Uh, <laughs> because every single time they touch the ball, they would just do a flying scissor kick into the skies, no matter where on the pitch they were stood. My favourite one, and this is somewhere around like the 10 minute mark. There was no clock on, so we've got no idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somewhere around the 10, me- 10 minute mark. Italy have an attacking scrum, like middle of the pitch, between the posts. Yeah, just like, like 20 metres out. Like, the meter, 22. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the scrum off throws it back loosely in the direction of Ambrosio. Um, Ambrosio, like it's a dive pass he goes for. Ambrosio misses it. Um, has to like jog backwards and regather it, pops it up to the winger, uh, I think it's Mashiketti, who then just hoofs it randomly into the air, which Craig Green behind his own trial and absolutely no pressure because none of the Italians chase it. <laughs> they just, in the 22, kick it up in the air and then stand still. None of them are chasing. 
Craig Green then knocks it on, but the referee gives it as backwards. Yeah, so they get, get a 22 it. from this, right? Yeah. And they take it, and all these Italians are going, good job there, Massimo, you did yeah. really well. Like, that was really good. <laughs> Let's try it again. And they kick it. it to Italy get it on the edge of the 22. And the scrum of Lorigola then just decides, I'm going to box kick it to the middle of fucking nowhere. <laughs> and he just puts it into the skies. John Gallagher drops it under no pressure. Because yeah. again, they just don't chase it. And again, they get a 22. And Italy just constantly just try and win 22 metre dropouts. So, um, so the, the Italian scrum off, uh, Lori Gola, the commentator talks repeatedly about how he has this really interesting tactic uh, that's very unique that he's come up with, which is that he hangs the ball incredibly high, you know, above the winger and hopes they'll knock it on. And he's like, it's a really interesting tactic. He does this a lot. And like, he, I think, I think it's a shaved fafter clerk. And you've got no way of proving this otherwise. Yeah. But, like, either way, Fulvio Larigola is the first modern scrum half. Yeah. Because all he does is box kick down the tram lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just spends all day ignoring his fly half, doesn't he? And here's the thing. Yeah. No one could take a high ball in 1987. Right? So there was a point where I'm just thinking, like, at what point did somebody think, let's pick a fullback who can catch? Like, at what (laughs) point did that become a trend? So uh, we're going to talk an awful lot about uh, Sterafino Ghisoni, oh, the Italian yes, fullback. We <laughs> we're going to talk a lot about him. Uh, uh, who's uh, uh, allegedly but, quite experienced. Yes, it, this was his 60th cap, which at the time was an insane That's a lot. Number. That's a lot. Because like, he's clearly a good were, servant for international for yeah, Italian rugby. He said this was his 11th season of playing for Italy. Okay. Um, so, you know, he'd been playing for a long, long time. Uh, he started as a winger, which I cannot imagine. Yeah, that's um, mental. We'll get but onto, apparently we'll get he'd, been, he'd been he'd been but... playing at the top league level for about sixteen years, which is right. pretty mad. So the All Blacks have a line out. Uh, this is just before the previous thing I mentioned with the high book. Uh, the All Blacks have a line out around halfway, and Grant Fox like they go first phase straight to Grant Fox, and he just hangs it in the air as high as he can. Right, proper Gary Owen again. Very little pressure put on the fullback, put on Giz only, and he catches it. And the commentators scream, He takes the catch! Oh my god, he takes the catch! I can't believe it! He caught a fairly normal high ball that nowadays anyone at like under 16's level will be expected to take. And they go absolutely mental, right? He offloads it back to one of his teammates who boots it back and clears it to pretty much exactly the spot where the All Blacks had the lineup before. So Grant Fox goes, I can't goddamn believe that he caught that high ball. There's no way he's doing it twice in a row. <laughs> so they chuck it to Fox again, and he hangs exactly the same kick. And you know what? There is no way he's doing it twice in a row, because <laughs> he just drops it under no pressure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, as, as we've established... Like, go yeah. on. No, there's just there's a proper vibe of the All Blacks kind of looking at that and going like, can he do that? Is he allowed to just catch the ball when we kick it? Like, it becomes evident in the second half that John Gallagher plays fairly well, but he simply yeah. can't catch. Like, his core skills are really, really bad, but evidently he's a good runner with the ball, good counter-attacker kind of thing. When the All Blacks build a bit of a lead, you suddenly realise he is actually good. But you spend the first yeah. half thinking, like, this guy's, like, allegedly, like, All Black legend is probably a strong term for it, but, like, he's highly regarded in New Zealand as yeah, a good... Yeah. It all back with a good test career, you know, and you kind of wonder how that's going to happen. Obviously, as I say, it becomes evident that he is actually good in the second half, but yes. it is slightly baffling at the start when just simply no one can catch. There's obviously this point where, so as we've established, Italy just every time they get the ball, they just kind of hang it in the air 
do terrible kicks and just hope that the All Blacks will drop it. And then there's a point. So the All Blacks clear from a penalty. And interestingly, Italy get the line out. So clearly this is before they'd adapted the rules. So the kicking team gets the line out from a penalty, mm. which is interesting. But yeah, Italy throw in. And then clearly Ambrosio is called, right then, lads, we're going to switch it up. Hands. And the, yes. the whole back line thinking, oh, he's going to do it. We're going to go hands. And they're clearly so excited at this point. And then it happens. So scrum off fields Ambrosio. Ambrosio fields the centre, Gael Tanelio, who feeds the 13, Colodo, who then feeds the winger, Cotitia, who runs into touch. And you suddenly realise why Italy are kicking on every single phase. Because, <laughs> because they just simply, they do not move forward. They do not draw anybody in. They just straight up hurl it to the touchline. The uh, assistant commentator, the co-commentator, keeps saying the whole way. I just think Italy needs to play through the hands more. They need to go wide a bit. You know, needs to try and run at the All Blacks. He keeps saying they need to run at the All Blacks. And it's like he just hasn't watched them. Because both times they try to do it, it really does not work for them. Yeah, like yeah. deep into the second half, like in the last ten minutes, they take a quick tap in their own twenty-two. Oh yes, it's a lot of fun. To throw it wide. And I mean, I'm going to offer you a hypothesis, right? Based on the entire game, the 1987 Italian team is the all-time greatest team at conceding scrum fives. <laughs> yes. How many scrum fives? And I'm pretty sure... Like, I don't know if scrum fives were a thing. I don't know if it was just wherever the mark is uh, at sure, this point. Sure, but it's got to be in front of the, yeah, 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 yeah. the try line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they were pretty much just putting the ball in on the try line at this point. But my yeah. God, how many times did New Zealand, A, get opportunities five minutes mm. out, and B, blow them? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, the, but the, the really impressive thing is how many creative and inventive ways that they came up with to force scrum fives. Yeah. Like, they were great at like, it. Yeah, it isn't like they were just, you know, getting caught behind their own try line or, you know, knocking it on or whatever. Like, they were constantly coming up with new inventive ways I've never seen before in some right? cases to concede a scrum five. Yeah, it's mental. incredible. I said they're the greatest I've ever seen at conceding scrum fives. It happens so many times. Yeah. There genuinely must be like 10, 11 scrum fives in this game that Italy concede. Yeah. It's, it's, it's genuinely remarkable. It, there must be a World Cup record. So, we'll have to start keeping count now. Yes. One of them, Italy run, I think, they have they have the scrum five. They have the putting on the scrum five. Uh, New Zealand, as you say, blow an opportunity and knock it on. And and they run, I think, the greatest exit play that I've ever seen, which is the scrum is going backwards. So the scrum lobs it in the air above the head of who seems to be the Dolmio man, <laughs> who then does a soft shoe shuffle and grounds the ball behind his own line. But the thing is, he has loads of time and he starts not even trying to step anyone. He just starts doing like a casual, as I say, like, he steps the blade of grass. You know, like, it's not even that. It's, you know, like when you see the early training footage on Strictly Come Dancing of them kind of doing like, just getting them back on their toes. It's like that. Like he just prances up and down for a bit and then gets smashed. So- and he has loads of time to <laughs> yeah. kick it. Like Michael Jones doesn't realise the ball's out and just simply does not break off the scrum. Like no. this, we are of course talking about Serafino Gizzoni, the yes. incredible Italian fullback who we've touched on already. So can we take yeah? Can we take a second to describe him? Because as you I said, nailed him with the Dolmio man. He thing. looks like the Dolmio man. I it's didn't think about Dolmio it. The Dolmio man so right. fullback. Yeah, there's a thing he does in the second half that we'll get onto. <laughs> I've just got written in my notes. Dolmio man, what have oh, you done in no. all caps? <laughs> 
Oh, are we going to go there now? No, 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 no. We'll okay. come back. Well, we, we we'll, can, we'll look, we can talk we'll about him. It. Because, yeah, he is my new favourite player. So what <laughs> thing I love that he does... There's a point where Grant Fox kind of aimlessly provokes this grubber kick in behind. And then he just goes all year 10 PE lesson and just tries to volley it into the distance. And it goes along the floor. (laughs) And the All Blacks pretty much score straight from it, I think. Yeah. So they talked about on the comms him being famously very fiery and a lot of like hand gestures and shouting yeah, at players yeah. and so on. We see literally none of that. <laughs> no. There's once where he gets a bit pissed off at himself because he's crap. But <laughs> I don't think he is crap. Well, well, he, he probably... is, but he he is, but he isn't. Like he's. I can see. He's a lot why... of fun. He did something crap. Yeah. And we'll oh, come I mean, he that. does an awful lot of crap. Things. Yeah. But compared to a lot of this Italian team, like he is the most memorable and the most standout. True, and, and like he did put his body about, and you know, and he yeah. did he did run into the positions that enabled him to do crap things. You know, so, I love him. I love him. I'm so at one point uh, like Frolic is out of my fa- my team of favorite players from. Oh um, yeah, 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 from this podcast. Serafina Grizzoli is aim. Yeah, he's played so, the so far. <laughs> no, at one point the commentator goes to say. You know, that's better than you'd expect from a man with 60 caps. But instead he says, that's better than you'd expect from a man of 60 years of age. Yes, I, I clocked that and I was thinking like, oh and my God, it, it makes sense. Because like, <laughs> he looks it. He looks it. He, as I said, like receding hairline, little tiny moustache. I said, looks very old, skin weathered. He is possibly the greatest rugby player. I've just checked. He's currently 66. He turns 67 in no. So, how old was he at this World Cup? He'd have probably been in his 30s. So, he was born in 1954, meaning he was... So, he's 33. 33. He right. was 33 at this World Cup. No, he's 32 at this World Cup. Right, okay. And he had his birthday, so... Okay, yeah. He now runs a car rental firm. Right, okay. Uh, he rents cars and buses and works as a ski instructor and amateur mountain rally driver. Wow. I've just... Sadly, learned oh, no. this was his last test for Italy. So we don't cap. get to enjoy the rest of him in this World Cup. Because I got really oh, excited to see more of him. But this is his last cap, oh. and to be honest, probably rightfully so. <laughs> but Do you want to know something else incredible? What he was friends with Silvio Berlusconi. What He's you can't just Silvio throw stuff like that. You've got to explain so yourself, man. He played for Milan Rugby, right? Okay, who were owned by. Silvio Berlusconi. Okay. And during that period, they became firm friends, apparently. Okay. I don't know whether it went on to be the case when Berlusconi became president. <laughs> this feels like it has the same vibe as that tweet when it turned out Paul Gascoigne was friends with Raul Moat. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, did we ever have a time in which the Dolmio man was at a Bunga Bunga party? It's entirely possible. Look, in the Squidge Rugby World Cup How... Retrospective Cinematic Universe, that happened, okay? How deep does this rabbit hole go? Uh, I'm amazed it goes as deep as this. Because like every time I googled <laughs> yes. one of these players' names, I was surprised that any results came up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he went, went exactly 60 caps, look like Dolmio Man, currently runs a car and bus rental service, works as a ski instructor, an amateur mountain rally driver, I... and is <laughs> friends with Silvio Berlusconi. When, when we eventually do our pod social... We'll go to Italy and see if we can meet the man himself. Can we, can we try and rent a bus from him? See if we can track him down and do an interview with yeah. him. Because I I love the guy. We can also interview uh, Innocenti, who was the one player I'd heard of from the Italian team. Right. Uh, who was the captain, number seven. Yeah. 
with the word innocent in his name. Yes, which is ironic considering where the first try comes from. <laughs> yes, yes, that's the most cheery I'm going to sound about that. I was going to uh, ask what you, th- what you think his favourite brand of smoothie is. Um, Sainsbury Town. Yeah, me too. Anyway, yeah, so the first ever try scorer in the Rugby World Cup, and I was not familiar with this statistic. Mm. I just have written on my notes, no, <laughs> fuck off. Yep. It's, 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 it's penalty try. Yeah. The first ever try in the Rugby World Cup was a penalty try. How <laughs> stupid is that? How, how, how pointless is that? Like, I hope Mr. Durden Smith was proud of himself when that happened. And he was like, oh, good, I've been campaigning for this. So we can see all of rugby's superpowers come up against each other. And then, oh, yeah, good, it's a penalty try. Call the whole thing off, lads. There's no point going any further. <laughs> Do you think this is why Jesus he organised it as a prank? He was like, I'm going to get everyone watching the World Cup. Gonna get Bob everyone Forden, the, the referee. What a mess. of rugby ever. And you know what the first try is going to be? It's going to be a penalty try. Ludicrous, mate. It's ludicrous. And also, Sylvia Berlusconi's best friend is going to be playing for Italy. <laughs> but yeah, so, so it, yeah. Was, it was a penalty try, which <laughs> frankly, blacks... I, don't, I don't think it should have been a penalty try. Uh, I don't think he was definitely going to uh, score. I think it was a definite yellow card. It's a definite yellow card. Because it's a professional um, foul. However, if, if, the, if he didn't, well, if, rather no, than no. it not being a penalty try, it wasn't mm. necessary because he was going to smash, uh, sh- well, maybe not because it was Buck Shelford, but like the, the flanker was in a perfect position to hit the number eight hard. Basically, he broke his bind, so, yeah, hit so... the eight before he picked up the ball. New Zealand obviously have a scrum five. Yeah, yeah, because that's, 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 yeah, um, match. Uh, yeah, and uh, Innocenti, the Italian captain and flanker, it breaks off really early into an offside position and just takes the ball from Shelfer's feet. Yeah. Uh, and throws back pants online and the referee goes a penalty try. Uh, yeah. There were no cards in rugby at this time, right? It was like oh, a straight, okay. straight sending off. In that case, or... correct call. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So you could just cheat all you wanted then. Yeah. You could sometimes... Man, I've... Like, I wish I was born, because I should have been coaching at this point. Like, I've just cracked the Rugby World Cup. Can you imagine if Razzy Erasmus was coaching? Right? Like, I did have a point during this game where I was thinking, like, if I was born, like, alive at this point and I worked hard enough and I had the brain I have now to apply to rugby, I could have played for Wales at this World Cup. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Easily. And, like, I'm not, like, good an athlete, you know? But, like, no, if I... I worked hard enough as a youth... And had the brain I have now, I could have played fly off for Wales at this World Cup because the space was so impossible to spot. Like for these these guys playing, yeah. I have a point where I've written in my notes: Is Grant Fox the only genuinely good player on this pitch? I so I, I have similar things. Right, one is that yeah, I I am not very good at rugby. Right, like I am passable at like uh, communal like casual touch level. Like yeah. I am a passable like. If that, to be six, honest. I am like a 6 out of 10 player at like the lowest level you can play as an adult, pretty much. You know? Uh, like, that is my ability. I am a better passer and taker of a high ball than pretty much the entire, yeah. both teams. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, um, you know, I, I, I coach under-15s level, and yeah. I genuinely think there was a match that I coached two or three weeks ago that was of about a similar standard to this. I wanted to ask you this. I wanted yeah. to ask you that about, you know, as someone that coaches... Yeah, uh, you know, not a particularly There's, high level. Obviously, in terms of physicality, it wouldn't have hmm. been 
the same no, sure. as this. But in terms of the way that the players think, Still and it might just be because I'm an incredible central. coach and I, you know, yeah, I, I, I am basically like Razi Erasmus, but better. Yeah. yeah. So that, that's probably what it's down to. But yeah, it's it, <laughs> there are comparisons to be drawn between those two, like there's, there are there are parts of it where the standard is much higher in the literal international rugby world cup of 1987, sure. But there are parts yeah. of it where I genuinely say, like, X player that I coach could do this better than X player that's playing for Italy here. You know, like yeah. it's mental to think. So I started thinking, right? How many of these players, if if you were a scout for a championship team, <laughs> okay, or even a national division one team, would you look at? and be interested in signing, watching this game, right? Watching this game as though it was exactly the same two teams, but, you know, you just went, it's a team playing in black against a team playing in blue rather than national teams, right? I think Grant Fox. Fox, definitely. Fox is brilliant. Like Grant Fox. Undoubtedly, like he's beyond Grant his years. Fox, like Yeah, exactly. He looks like he's playing, like, 15 years in the future. And, like, I mean, I've obviously seen Grant Fox play before, you know, bits and bobs. Yeah. Obviously, I wasn't born at this point. But, like, so, he's better than I expected him to be, and I've always uh, known he's, yeah. like, one of the all-time greats. At one point, this is... Okay, there's two things here. Uh, at one point, Grant Fox does a mispass. And because I'd got into the kind of rhythm of this game, I went, holy shit. Yeah, right. <laughs> and the thing is, like, you can imagine he called that to his centres. And his yeah. centres went, what? <laughs> Come on, no, 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 you've got to go down the line. Like, got, that's why they call it hands down the line. You're, you're not going... You're just going to not pass to me. You're just going to pass to him instead. <laughs> you can't do that. That's not allowed. Like, Can you check with the referee? That's like, allowed. Mate, you saw their fullback took a high ball. Anything goes today. This is the rugby world like, cup. I, I once, I recently had, again, like I, I coach at mm. this, this under 15s level. I recently had a lad who started playing rugby about two weeks beforehand and we're about to go into a match and he comes up to me and goes, are you allowed to offload in this? Like, yes, you're allowed mm. to offload in this. Mm. I imagine it was a similar vibe. That it was like, Grant can, Fox can you just check with the referee? Thing. You're allowed to mispass, please. Grant Fox does throw an offload at one point uh, in the lead up to a try score by Michael Mental, Jones. I think isn't it? maybe the third try. Uh, so we're skipping ahead a bit, but I can't remember. Let's, let's talk about it. Scored. Let's talk Who about cares? it. Yeah. There's a lot of tries. So, yeah, the All Blacks break off a scrum, blah, blah, blah. They get it to Fox, who kind of is looking outside him. Uh, he then throws it back inside to Michael Jones, who's running an inside line, right? Yeah. So, all that's happened is the 10 has taken it near the line and thrown in the inside ball. Yeah. The commentator yells, what incredible innovation by Grant Fox. Yeah. It's an inside ball. Like, th- there's a few tries of stuff like that where it's like, Fox does like a, a well-balanced run and he acknowledges yeah. he, A, doesn't have to run in a straight line. B, yes. uh, he doesn't have to run sideways. C, yeah. he doesn't have to pass to the guy outside him. He can do whatever he wants. Yeah. And he yeah. acknowledges, you know, if this is where the space is, this is how it's best to get it there, you know? And like... Mm. There's not really any level of analysis that needs to be done on this game, but he seems to be the one person who seems to, like everything he does. He actually does for a reason. There's that one point yeah. where David Kirk tries to pass to him, and it goes along the floor, and Fox scoops it up in one motion to his winger, and it's like that's what yes. any normal ten would do now, you know, or even so, come the noughties. But I think yeah. sometimes we look back at rugby from you know like pre two thousand and three, let's say. Yeah, you're kind of looking at the great players are flukes almost right sure. like i think gareth edwards is a fluke like he is a yeah he would be incredible like and watching andrew dupont i think like oh that is what gareth edwards would be now you know sure like he is like a unbelievably talented player who you know, just like always would have been all their players you know like 
Gerald Davis, David Duckham, whatever, who are just like incredibly athletic and talented athletes. I think Grant Fox stands next to Jonah Lomu in terms of he is a player that had to happen in order for rugby to move forward. Yes, definitely, definitely. Like because if we didn't have Grant Fox, kind of invented the modern mold of the fly half. Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. And you know, it's worth giving a lot of credit for that because I think in terms mm. of uh, physicality and everything, you know, Jonah Lomu was the kind of the player who revolutionised that and yeah. you know got rugby to where it is today physically. Uh, whereas I think in terms of like analysis and stuff and like being able to manipulate defences and just generally predict how the game's going to go. Uh, Grant Fox always made the right call, uh, yeah. looking at a game like this especially. Like, Dan Carter is a better player than Grant Fox in every regard. Yes. But you don't get Dan Carter without Grant exactly. Fox. First, exactly, exactly. Right? Like, Dan Carter couldn't possibly happen without a player like Fox just yeah, appearing. paved the way a little like, bit. Yeah, actually, actually, I'm just going to pass to whoever I like and I'm going to take different options sure. I'm going to be a bit yeah. weird. There was some um, interesting calls about when to go for goal. Granted, they probably yes. weren't Fox's decision. They were probably more Kirk's. But like he did it when they were about 40, 50 points up at one point, which is interesting. But yeah. I guess they were just there to have some fun by that but point. Speaking of interesting decisions to go for goal, at one point, right towards the end of the half, Italy is 17-0 down. And they get a free kick from a scrum, I think it is. Oh, this is so good. They set up a wall move. Yeah. Which, which had me out my who seat. played rugby at, like, under 13s and below will remember the wall move. Yeah. Where you set up a number of your forwards in a wall, and then, you know, they can pop it around to anyone. Yeah. Italy set up a wall move. They pop it to the forwards, who then pops it back to the 13, who goes for a drop goal. <laughs> They are 17 nil down and they run an incredibly intricate play to get a drop goal. To, to literally just pass it five metres to your 13 who is just going to thunder twat it in the direction of the posts and hope for yeah. the best. Which that is literally the move and all the forwards are kind of dilly dallying about in the meantime to create some kind of diversion. And hey, it worked. It went through the post. 17-3 now, Buster. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great move. It works. I enjoy yeah, that a lot. It's fantastic. The bloody shark should have tried at the weekend when they're going for all those, right? you know, off yeah. goal and drop. Obviously, they've now uh, outlawed going straight for it from a free kick, haven't they? Which yeah, is a shame. Would have taken it into or, or from a scrum. First, still. Which is a shame because there's a, a brilliant point where Italy get a scrum five. And yeah. then just, this is in the second half, so Italy are about 50, 60 odd points down. The ball kind of squirts out. And so the scrum off just pops it up to Ambrosio, mm. who just for some reason, just drop kicks the ball for no real reason. And it goes along the floor and the all-backs go the distance. Uh, the score at the time is 41-6. Right, okay. <laughs> just goes for a drop goal, which, as you say, gets charged... Well, no, yeah, he doesn't even have to charge it, it doesn't. Down. It goes along the floor, pretty much. Yeah. And he's five metres out from the try line. Like, it hey, would have been easier to like side... End. It's more like It end. would have been easier to sidestep and run the distance than it would have oh, been... Yeah. For him to, to drop the ball onto his foot when the all... Bear in mind, they didn't have to get back five. The backs didn't at this point. So they are straight up in his face at this point. The, the All Blacks actually decided to put a bit of pressure on him this time, unlike the other instances. Oh. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. 
like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We've also skipped something that happens. I think a very important moment in the context of the Red Bull Cup in general. We've, we've skipped um, over quite a few things here. Uh, I no, just yeah, but this is from that. early on. This is oh, okay. about 15 minutes. Oh, go on. I have written down, so John Kerwin becomes the first player to ever do something good in the Rugby World Cup. <laughs> about 15 minutes. Oh, yeah, game. he makes that break, doesn't he? He makes a line break when the ball... And then Michael, Michael Jones just randomly throws the ball in the direction of the goal line and remembers <laughs> yeah. you're not allowed to do forward passes in rugby. It's, yeah, it's his first cap, you know. Yeah, happen. and the, the commentator says that. It says, like, oh, he might he might not have opted to throw pass that forward if it was his fifth or sixth cap. It's like, <laughs> yes, maybe he would have. Now you mention it like that. It's amazing that they don't explain the rules to you until your first cap. Yeah, <laughs> you're just straight in the deep end. You just got to roll with it from that point. But that's that was that was always the problem uh, with Grizzoni. Is he forgot it because it was so long ago? He just couldn't it's remember true. how to play rugby. It's true, because he was in his sixties. Like, yeah, they explained it on his first cap <laughs> back when he was twenty-one. What was he supposed to do? He still had hair then. So there's um, a point where, so the All Blacks have just scored. And then uh, Ambrosio, I mean, at one point, he does a brilliant kickoff, which lands perfectly within five metres, it bounces five metres out from the All Blacks goal line and into touch. That's brilliant. And then the next one, he just thinks, right, it's on. And he just boots it into the North Stand and it properly goes into Rosette. But at this yeah. point, it wasn't back for a scrum at that point. It would just be a 22 dropout. 22 dropout, so com- which is at least a game plan. So the commentators say like, oh, that's a really smart decision from Ambrosio to kick it there. So they're in the All Blacks territory, guaranteed. They, I wrote down the quote, it's, that's the right idea, absolutely. And it's like, mate, he just booted it miles. He definitely didn't want to do that. And he definitely wouldn't nowadays. It's a good thing they changed that law. After the first try as well, after the penalty try, Italy then have a scrum in their own half. And the commentator said, says, let's see how their Latin temperament holds up here. <laughs> That's let's move on from that. Baffling. <laughs> that is baffling. Yeah. So half time, New Zealand are 15-6 up. Uh, in fact, no, 15-3 up, then Italy get their penalty, which, you know, makes sense because you get I mean, yourself on the board in the second half. So there's a there's a point just before half time. Yeah. When the All Blacks are attacking, I think it does eventually lead to that second try. I think it leads to the scrum that leads to the second try. Sure. Where the commentator says, the All Blacks looking awesome when all the time I went and rewound in case I missed something. They string three passes together. <laughs> he loved throwing that word awesome out there, didn't he? It was Quite, new, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Clearly know, that was, was the like, word. Come in. Especially yeah. in New Zealand. Evidently. That was the thing. Yeah. New Zealand, yeah. Have you seen Aaron Smith's tweet today? Uh, oh yes. That Aaron Smith's just watching Seinfeld for the first yes. time. That tweet made me laugh far harder than it should have. Yeah, yeah I yeah. saw it and I genuinely guffawed out hey, loud bro, most of this game. Anyone, anyone for like a Seinfeld? solid minute? Yeah, what I a can just chat? imagine it though. Yeah, him going like the what's the deal with airplane food? Be like, bro, what is the deal with airplane food? I don't know what is the deal with airplane. Like, you can probably guarantee T.J. Perinara woke up this morning with a text saying, "Bro, you ever seen Seinfeld?" Exactly. I can just imagine Aaron Smith watching it, chuckling to himself about the fact that Julia Louis Dreyfus is such a gifted comic actress, a great physical actress. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's, it's absolutely 
incredible. It it made me so happy the thought of Aaron Smith watching Seinfeld and being so taken with it. It doesn't feel like, like it's up his street, but I'm so glad oh, it is. Exactly. Exactly. That's why it pleased me so much. The image, you know, because you've seen those clips of the documentary of him sat on his sofa, yeah, in yeah. like you know, his loungewear and a baseball cap. I can just imagine him sat there going, "Yeah, goes do go toilet together." I have noticed that, bro. I have noticed that. I can't wait to do a nug chat about his favorite references. You know, his favorite, cra- famous, yeah. famous, favorite Kramer moments. Sure, sure. And you know, this. I reckon next time he plays for the All Blacks. <laughs> Instead of God Defend New Zealand or The Hacker, he should just sing the Seinfeld theme tune instead. <laughs> yeah. Bring his bass guitar with him and uh, he can he can lead it. And then the, yeah. all the All Blacks can do an interpretive war dance over the top of it. I think, better yet, uh, he should move on to Jerry Seinfeld's next most famous work and recreate the B-movie in his entirety. As a, now as that movie. is a much better idea. You know... Come the autumn test, he can go up to, I think it's the USA the plane next, go up to Ruben de Haas, his opposite number, and say, bro, do you like jazz? That would be great. And de Haas would be like, hey man, I've seen that film as well. And high five him. He's like, I do like jazz. Yeah, you know, de Haas is young. He's like Gen Z, you know. He, he, he will have he seen it. Memes. He, he will have seen memes. it. Yeah, he yeah, he, he'll get that. He would... Ruben de Haas loves memes. Yeah, he, right? d- he does. He does. That's confirmed. I actually am um, currently working on an article called Ruben de Haas Loves Memes. Yeah, didn't you hear from his dad or something after he wrote something for Pass? Yeah, his, his his dad liked a piece I wrote about him, which made me really okay. self-conscious. And then yeah. I got a DM from somebody saying, uh, I know Ruben de Haas's dad. <laughs> As a threat. Yeah. I'll get his dad on you. Yeah, but his dad didn't play for South Africa, I don't think, but I think he played for the Stormers or something. Yeah, I think maybe his granddad played for South Africa. Something like that. But yeah, he he loves memes. Long story short. He loves short. memes. He, he loves, loves memes. memes. He, loves he was memes. raised on memes, especially B-movie yeah, ones. Yeah, and the B-movie. He, yeah, just, he yeah. loves the B-movie and he loves memes. Yeah. And him and Aaron Smith are going to have such a good time just reminiscing on Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait for Aaron Smith to discover comedians in cars getting coffee. <laughs> so... 1987. Aaron Smith was probably born that year, I don't know. Um, probably. Hey, do you want to do my quiz about 1987 that I did? Sure, just first. Sorry, that was all of B-Movie in one second. Carry on. <laughs> oh, thank you. Okay, we didn't really set the scene for 1987. You know, okay. we briefly mentioned that neither of us existed. Yeah. Uh, I want to say, on the day of this... Oh, okay, I like this. Yeah, we did this 2011, didn't we? On Yeah, on the 3pm day that, you know, the 22nd of May this was played. For some reason, okay. it woke up to a place in May at this time. Yeah. The number one film at the box office was The Untouchables. Okay. Uh, by Brian De Palma, starring Kevin Costner and Sean Connery. Robert okay. Nero's in it as well. It's very good. It's very good. Right, okay. I've seen it. It's a very good film. If anyone out there fancies watching a good crime movie, watch The Untouchables, starring Kevin Costner. Okay. The number one film at the box office at this time. And the number one song in the UK was, and this is so 80s. Okay. Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now by Starship. Oh, okay. Sure. I was I was expecting it to be you too, because I, I think the Joshua so- Tree was 87. U2 had, the, with or without you, was the number one song in the USA. Right, okay. This day. Yeah. The number one song in the UK was Starship. I don't know right. if it come out here yet. Yeah, I don't know. You also had Tom Jones, you know, number two, A Boy From Nowhere. There's some terrific stuff. Uh, I do have a quick quiz. Okay, right, hit me. What do you know about the year 1987? Okay? Not much. So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you three things, and I want you to tell me which one did not happen, come out in, okay. Um, okay. occur in 1970. Okay. So two of them did, one of them did not, okay? Okay. So we're going to start with, let's do films and music first, because we've just been on that, okay? Sure. One of them you're well ahead of, okay? Which of these songs or albums did not come out in 1987? 
Okay? Bad by Michael Jackson. Joshua Tree by U2. Total Clips of the Heart by Bonnie Tyler. Oh, I mean, I'm pretty sure, like, Joshua Tree in 87 is one of those that I just kind of had in my head is I think that's yeah, yeah. correct. And I think you've just validated that for me. I I reckon I'm going to go Total Clip, Eclipse of the Heart didn't come out in 87. That was that was 84. You're correct. Oh, nice. Correct. Bad um, was the number one album of 1987. I know everything about 1987 so far. Films, right? Which of these films did not come out in 1987? Robocop, Dirty Dancing, Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw. The last one. Yes, uh, it came out in 2019. You tried to okay. catch me out there. Let's go another final pop culture one. Right? Yeah. Which of these franchises did not appear for the first time in 1987, right? So did 1987, so the first TV appearance of The Simpsons, the first Legend of Zelda video game, or the first Fantastic Four comic? Which of those did not come out in I'm going to say Zelda. It's Fantastic Four. Oh, okay. to that. Uh, so the original Legend of Zelda and the original Simpsons came out the same month. Okay, interesting. When was um, Fantastic so Four? Uh, 1961. Oh, okay, I'm miles away. Where the mark. Uh, yeah. Okay. I did, I did think that must be ancient, so I was surprised by that. I should have gone with that. For some World reason, I thought Zelda would be recent. Do you know uh, anything about world events? Uh, I know that um, Gitsoni um, booted the ball that time. <laughs> That's a And tried to one. do the little dance. So, which of these three world events did not take place in 1987, right? Fall of the Berlin Wall... Fiji declares independence and becomes a republic, uh, or Margaret Thatcher wins a third election. I'm going to say... Wait, what, what was the first one? Fall of the Berlin Wall. Oh, Christ. Well, if it's that, and I don't say it's that, then or, or the other way around, uh, then that's pretty bad. But I'm going to say... What was option two? Uh, Fiji declares independence. I'll say that. I'll go, I'll go Fiji independence. Nope, Fiji declared independence in 1987 and then competed in the World Cup in 1987 as well. Oh, okay. The fall of the, Bar- fall of the Berlin Wall was in 1989. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, okay, um, that's not too bad. But, you know, the famous speech that right. triggered the whole yeah. thing was in 1987. Ah, uh, okay. However, I want to lead on now to rugby because I did want to do some background, rugby research on the background. Yeah, I don't know much about rugby. Year. This is probably my weaker point. Yeah, yeah. My strong so, point is probably films because I present a film podcast, but, you know. Yes. So, leading into the World Cup this year, the All Blacks were undefeated in the lead-up to the World Cup. The Six Nations that year had been won by who? Take a punt. England. France. Okay. France won with a Grand Slam. The top try scorer uh, was the father of a future France international. Emile Intermac. guess who? Nope. Um... I'll give you one more guess, because... Alain Penno. No, uh, Eric Bonneval. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, that makes sense. However, which of these three things did not take place in rugby that year? Five nations saw a record number of games called off due to weather. By the way, I've just uh, realised I'm way off the mark what? with what era Emil Linthamak played in. I'm an idiot. Ten years, that's fine. Yeah, it's all the same. <laughs> Carry on. Yeah, so the five nations saw a record three games called off due to weather, the highest ever okay. in the history of the competition. David Pocock is born. Okay. Or the English First Division, now known as the Premiership, uh, is formed replacing just regional leagues. So they have like a national league for the first time. I'm going to say David Pocock wasn't born on this year because I think he's slightly younger given... I, I mean, I, I looked up Romil Geisin and he was he was born in 91 and I reckon Pocock's probably a similar age to him. So I'm going to go... Oh, it... The hairline is throwing you off. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, Romil Geisin's like think... 27, isn't he? Yeah, I reckon David Pocock, Pocock was... Pocock no, 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 I, I think I, David David Pocock was born in 87. I'm going to say last option. So the English First Division? Yeah. 
Yeah. Note David Pocock was born in 88. Oh, my God. So You snaked me out. Oh, <laughs> God damn. So, God yeah, so the World Cup and the Premiership both began in the same year, 1987. Wow, that's pretty mad. That was the first season of the Premiership in 1987. Yeah. So it's all kicking off. There's a lot of hoopla going on. Yeah. So much hoopla coming to England and New Zealand. Uh, that was 97. That's everything you need to know about it. Thank you. Uh, we now return you to a regularly scheduled programming. Yes. So, well, we might as well talk about the greatest thing that happened in 1987, right? <laughs> Which one? Which one? There's two in this game. The, the first chronological one. Sure. Sure. Where Grant Fox... Oh, no, I'll tell you what. Before, Go speaking on. of Grant Fox, Go on. we didn't finish my point on uh, how many of these players would play above National Regional 1. Grant Fox would. Let's move on. No, I'm joking. Grant Fox would. John Kerwin would. Michael Jones would. Buck Shelf probably would, but didn't show it in this game. Yeah. Same with Sean Fitzpatrick. Yeah. I reckon... I don't, think, probably... I don't think Michael Jones showed it in this game either. I thought Michael Jones played well. I think he played well, but I don't think he played... Like that well, okay. well. I think the only player from the Italian team who looks like they'd get a contract anywhere is Ambrosio, just because he's got a massive boot. Yeah, and given it was his first cap, he did pretty well. You know. Yeah, exactly. Like, like yeah, I can see them going. Oh, it's a debut on ten with a massive boot. Like fair play to him, he gave it his best. That, yeah, like championship. Yeah, level. and like he tackled fairly well. Given yeah. one thing, I love what the All Blacks kept doing is they kept trying to do these interesting little moves. Where what would eventually happen is it's an inside ball to John Kerwin. And yes. the Italian defence was that crap that they covered it every time because they were just lazy. They, like yeah. It's much harder for them to get out wide than for them to just go, oh, it's John Kerwin, might as well tackle him while we're here. Um, at one point in the first half as well, it's the one other thing I've got jotted down for the first half. Yeah. Buck Shelford drops the ball over the try line when it's going over from the scrum and the crowd laughs. <laughs> That's great. That's brilliant. It's probably just Zambrook yelling with laughter. Uh, can I also pick up a point on Ambrosio while we're talking about yeah, it? Yeah, sure. A bit. Did you hear the thing about him and Hugo Porter? No. Oh, wait. I heard something about Hugo Porter. So, so Ambrosio was born in Argentina. His parents yes. still lived in Argentina, but he moved to Italy when he was about 18. Right. So he'd lived there. He was 24 when he made his debut in this World Cup. Uh, so he'd lived there for like six, seven years, you know, like a long time. He was, you know, by all intents and purposes, Italian by this point. Sure. I don't know if he was qualified by other means or as well. Of course. Hugo Porter, who was at the time in the Italian team, I think he was the captain as well, and was, the, you know, number 10, would have been his opposite number for this World Cup. Yeah. And Argentina were in this pool with New Zealand and Italy. Okay. Hugo Porter happened to live in Buenos Aires, where Ambrosio's parents also lived. Right. Porter went round to his parents' house and said, tell your son we're going to beat them by 50 points. And then left. Wait, so I'll oh, tell him that Argentina are going to beat him by 50 points. We're going to beat Italy by 50 points, yes. Wow. That's that's a hell... I mean, the thing that's is... That's like... Could, it's... could you imagine, right? Mm. So you are... N- name a rugby player in 2021. Uh, Julian Montoya. Right. So uh, who's in their pool in the next World Cup? Oh god! Uh, <laughs> I've completely forgotten. You know what? Let's go to twenty. Let's go to twenty nineteen. In twenty nineteen yeah. World Cup, England were in their pool, right? Yeah. Imagine, okay, Johnny Wilkinson goes around, flies over to Buenos Aires, finds Julian Montez's parents, knocks on the door. Hello, guys. How are you? I'm Johnny Wilkinson. I hope you're having a great day. We're going to fucking dick you. Bye. <laughs> and then leaves. Yeah. Mic drop. Yeah. That's what you want from a halfback, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You want your halfback to be such a dick that they go and find their opposite numbers. Yeah. Not even like the opposite numbers. I don't know why I said Johnny Wilkinson. It could have been George Ford. should be George Ford. 
Yeah. Johnny Wilkinson's too busy doing health drinks at Seven Sainsbury's. Yeah. <laughs> Which happens so... to be Innocenti's favourite brand. <laughs> yes. Um, so Hugo Porter is such a dick that he doesn't even track down his next opponent's house, right? He goes several games in advance, goes, oh, my opposite number, their parents live in the same, parents, like, within a few man. postcodes. I'm going to find them, knock on their door, be a dick to them for about one minute, and then leave. <laughs> like, that was, he planned that day. Like, he thought, yeah. at one point he thought, today, right, what's on my agenda? Oh, go around the, go around the Ambrosio household be a dick and go okay okay i'll have to maybe block out a couple of hours in my day to make that journey and then come home and to maybe et the side of it you know like yeah. he will have had to plan his day around that like he will have woken up and his girlfriend will be like oh hey hugo what, what's your plan for today she's like i've got to go fuck shit up man <laughs> i've got to find the parents of an uncapped fly half remember he hadn't played for italy yet right there was no guarantee he was going to no we didn't know for a fact that he was going to play there. That's that's incredible. That's I, I respect the hell out of it. Hugo Porter, it might be man of the match now. Yeah. Do you think that got into his head? No. <laughs> Don't think he cared. Ambrosio. Uh, yeah. No. No. I think he was fine with it. I reckon his okay. I reckon his parents told the the press about it because it somehow got to the commentators. That, that that was yeah, what yeah. was Oh, they said. did it in the newspaper. The right, okay, day, yeah. They told the press. You yeah. know, I reckon they, they told the press and then Ambrosia just went, okay. And then played um, quite so well. The only other fly-off in the squad was uh, Oscar Collado, who started at 12. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. He scored um, the drop goal. Yeah, so he was the only other centre in the right, okay. you know, fly-off in the squad. Okay, so, that makes sense. You know, they can kind of figure there's a fair chance he's going to play. Yeah, it's still funny, though. It's and just generally mental. But, yes. Yeah. And I'm kind of shocked that that's not happened recently. I want to say, oh, that would never happen these days. But let's face it, Razzy Erasmus exists. Like, <laughs> yes, I could totally see Andre well, Pollard thing, doing like, that. Nowadays, he could just send a tweet. Yeah, that's very true, actually. Like, back then, he had to go round to his house. That's the equivalent of Timothy Lafayette saying, oh, we're going to beat Scotland 36-21 or whatever it was. It was Lemecki. Lemecki, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Saying, no, saying, yeah, sexism isn't fit. We're gonna, yeah. you know, we're gonna beat them by seven points. And you know, yeah, like, yeah, and he, he gave an exact scoreline, and it's just like, <laughs> yeah. is your is your coach not telling you like we're not going to let them score a single point, kind of thing? Because you know, coaches do that. Coaches say the whole, yeah. oh, they're not going to go so, for our defense at all. And he predicted that they scored more points than they actually would like, in the opposition. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna score two bonus points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just like, no, nah, man, set your standard high. Show no respect, no mercy. Anyway, you saying he stands as high. Yes, uh, the Dolmier man. Yeah, so Grant Fox kicks the ball to him, and uh, you know you you catch the ball behind your own try line. You've not carried it back. What would no. you do? You think you think? And, oh, I fancy yeah, twenty-two dropout. They take the high ball. They take the high ball perfectly yeah. cleanly. Very well. You know, that's perfectly fine. Yeah. Yeah. Then then what happens? So he's going to put the ball down in front of him. He's just going to jot it down on the floor, and he drops it. No pressure. He he drops it. Yeah, no one nearby. He just drops it as he's trying. He to just genuinely hasn't practiced putting a ball down, and like he does it one-handed, clearly to try and show off, maybe. And it's it's mental. He he under no pressure whatsoever. He just doesn't know how to put a ball on the floor. It's extremely funny. It's it's mental. I, he, I, I might atta- attach the clip of this to the the podcast when we tweet this yeah. out. Like. It's it's hard to do it justice by describing. Yeah, yeah. Because you don't see it coming. 
Yeah. You know, you figure, oh, it's going to be another 22 meter dropout. And of course, on the first phase from the scrum, Tom Taylor's dad scores. Yes. Yeah. Warwick Taylor scores yeah. in the corner. Yeah. New Zealand run a move that looks something like rugby. And it was yeah, vaguely, rugby. vaguely. And then Kerwin does like a nice still, offload. It looks like 70s rugby, which I'm used to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it looks like the kind of try where like JPR would pop up in the corner. Sure. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's it's. I'm glad that somebody scored off the back of that because that was so bad. Yeah, and that was when he starts getting aggressive and yelling at his also, teammates for it. Right when the ball comes out of that scrum, Grant Fox juggles it, and the Italian defence don't fly up and they it. just leave him to they it. Yeah, they don't even. It ha- the same thing happens to Gallagher at one point as well, where he yeah. juggles the ball and the fence just go, "Oh, okay, I won't touch you." Like you they, catch the ball down, tackle. We got a deal. Juggle him like they probably wait on Gallagher. Yeah. At least like Fox regathers it quite quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's like, really they don't weird. Do anything. It's like no, yeah. if they're juggling the ball, smash him, and the ball yeah. is then loose for you to gain, yeah. or at least drift out and cover. Yeah, yeah, it gives point, you more time. All the other runners have picked by line. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, cover it. Don't just let them score in the corner. Like, I watched the Italian defence back on that, and it's unbelievably shit. Yeah, yeah. The- like, they don't move. Like, do you want to know what the Italian defence on that try reminded me of? Go on. You know desktop rugby on Switch? Yes, of course I do. That's what, where the players just randomly move about near the ball. Hey, maybe That's at some point we should like. do some uh, content maybe about desktop uh, Maybe we desktop should cover rugby. desktop rugby at some point. At, so, so, yeah, so they back this up with another mm. Scrum 5, and... Yes. Um, Gitsoni drops it again, and I love him. He's just—he loves it. He's just—he loves he's so into it. Like, look, d- do you love anything as much as Gitsoni loves dropping the ball? Uh, only as much as he loves bunga bunga parties, allegedly. And Silvio Berlusconi. At one point, yeah, uh, Laura Giona, the scrum half, mm-hmm. does an unbelievable dick move about fifteen minutes ago, where Italy have a scrum in their own twenty-two. Oh, you do you want to? Is the uh, no? Is this going where I think it's going? Probably. Go on, keep going, keep going. So, if they have the ball at the back of the scrum, he's waiting. Uh, he has his boy, Grizzoni, in the pocket. And he does with his full arms a dummy pass motion. But without pretending to pick the ball up, he just kind of waves his arm. Which is that. obviously long outlawed. Like, yeah. you know, when when you're young, referees have to tell you not to do that because people yeah, think they'll yeah. get away with it. But he does the full motion and like it's it's hard to, to describe but it verbally. He's got but his hands are flat, like yeah. he's holding slabs of something. Yeah. Yeah. And like, like he, he really ball, goes like straight. rips through it. And then he points yeah. at David Kirk when he falls for it. Who steps offside. Yeah. yeah. And they get the penalty for it, even though this is illegal. I don't know if it is by this point. But if it's not yeah. by this point, then I hope we get to see loads of it in the World Cup because people will fall for this. Yes. So he then throws the pass and because he's in full-on dick mode, he throws it straight at Grizz over these ankles. Yes. And like, he's struggling enough as it is to catch the ball. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah. Like, he put all the time you'd take that one high ball. Yeah. So obviously he knocks it on, then knocks it backwards through his own legs. Yeah, yeah. And there's So the other point with the scrum off with uh, Laurie Gola was there's a point where David Kirk has it at the back of the scrum. And he does a diving charge down on a pass, which is a deliberate knock-on. Yes! yes! And just yes, doesn't does. get like penalised for it. Diving deliberate knock-on. Yeah. Like, two-handed. Like It's it's a, it's a horizontal charge down. And he just doesn't get again. done for it. Someone waxed Fab to Clerk. Yes! Like, it's incredible. Rugby was so good in the 80s. <laughs> you know, whenever I'm taking a kick of goal, I noticed they have a kid come on with a bucket of sand. Yeah! Right? 
And then they, they kick ass to mould it yeah. from a bucket of sand. They don't even have, like, like when Kerry Sweeney used to kick and they'd bring on, like, a little thing of sand. Like a pre-moulded like, thing, yeah. They'd bring on, like, a seaside bucket. You couldn't and even bring on a they'd cone. They'd bring it out and mould it. Yeah. It's incredible. Oh, so good, so good. And the thing is, like, you could tell there was a point where what Ambrosio wanted to do was that he would mould the ball onto the sand and he would try and kick it so the sandy bit would land in the All Blacks' hands because it's harder to catch, right? Like, you could you could tell that there were points where that would be a tactic that you would go for. Sure, sure. Uh, it's, it's mental what rugby used to be like. So you mentioned the scrum five that they conceded immediately after yes. the Yeah, yeah, yeah. They then pass it out and Craig Green, the winger, scores in the corner. Yes. And the commentators, did you pick up one of these? Yes. Said, go that's on, a hat-trick, that's three for Green on his second yep. try. Uh, and then the commentator, that, the other commentator, then has to correct him and goes, "No, that's two tries. That's not a hat trick. Uh, if if you score a try, <laughs> then you score another. It's win. not three. They, yeah. Also, it's not a record win. They scored sixty four against Uruguay. <laughs> also, um, that came just after John Kerwin did a dramatic dive over the touchline, which was great. Yes, I enjoyed that. That was great. Like he he properly grounds the ball into the first seat of the crowd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he dunks it down. Yeah. Well, after like going you know out. when you dive with um, such conviction that you look like a dick if you don't actually score it. Exactly. That. <laughs> he then, after awarding a hat trick try, the other commentator steps in to do some analysis, right? And the commentator says. This is the famous move that we've seen starting to catch on all throughout New Zealand uh, after Murray Mexted, of course, made it famous. The move is passed to an unmarked winger. Yes. It's literally pick and go on the blind side. And it's just like, yeah, you've spotted a three on two. That's your move. Yeah. It's like no one is defending that winger. Yeah. Pass to him and he'll score from a yard out. Yeah. Like the easiest try you'll see. That's it's it's really truly cutting edge analysis. Uh, yeah, I think at some point, yeah. I, I hope that at some point, some time traveler shows one of your videos to um, <laughs> to that commentator because he will be blown away. Uh, McDowell then scores a try, which is fairly standard. Just some decent offloading from the All Blacks, and he crashes yeah. over from short range. The All Blacks have such a like step up in the second half. Yeah. Like they're so much better in the second half than the first. Yeah. And also Italy start kicking less and less, which is stupid because it's all they can do. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's then John Cohen scores a try where it's just Grant Fox being class. Like he yeah. steps around a few people, pops it to Kirk, who's suddenly in acres of space and finds a two on one for Kerwin. No, 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 no. There's a few things, right? So it's right after the try following the attempt to drop goal. Yeah. Scrum yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, they then run downfield, yeah. And, yeah, John Kerwin scores. Yeah. And John Kerwin's first try in international rugby in two years. Mm-hmm. He's got against Argentina. And I saw that and I went, oh, John Kerwin scored two tries. Because the one thing I'd seen from this game, the one thing you remember from this game... The famous Kerwin try from 90 the meters. The really famous John Kerwin yeah. try. Yeah, 90 meter try. There's something they don't tell you about that try. Men. Yeah, so I had seen that try so many times. Yeah. I thought I knew what happened. Rugby World Cup share it every six months. Like It comes out all the time, yeah. right? There is a detail <laughs> that everyone... And I've seen this try. I've been watching this try for about 15 years, yeah. right? If not more. I've been seeing that It's one of the most famous All Blacks tries ever. We don't need to one describe it. One of the most it. famous tries in the history of the Rugby World Cup, right? John Cohen's level the field try. Most people watching this podcast have seen it at some point. Yeah. There's something no one ever told me about this try. Something no one ever mentioned. Which is... <laughs> this try is scored because the entire Italian team 
the uh, John Kerwin's infamous try against Italy from the first ever World Cup match was scored because the entire Italian opposition he beats were distracted by a golden retriever running onto the pitch. It's not a golden retriever. A chocolate it's a Labrador. Of some kind. Yeah. Chocolate Labrador. Thank you. By a Labrador running onto the pitch and saying hi to the entire team. <laughs> So Colodo has to go up to the dog and and play with him for a little bit and help him <laughs> off the field before the before Italy take their kickoff. And then they're kind of like, no, oh, well, that was strange, wasn't it? And John Cohen goes the distance. And again, the dog- I've seen this try so many times. I wish they didn't crop off the bit beforehand where a chocolate Labrador comes up and starts smiling at all the Italians who are about to miss a tackle on John Kerwin. The commentator starts talking about how this is the most security he's ever seen at a rugby match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the dog runs onto the pitch. What is the dog in the stadium in the first place? Yeah. What's he doing here? Yeah. Dog or anything? Like, They've just let a dog in. Like, I was just I was all for it. Like, all for it. Yeah, yeah. I love it. And I, I, given this is the first match at this World Cup, I there's kind of part of me thinking, is this going to happen more? Could we be seeing so. more of well, this? Up until this point, 100% of Rugby World Cup matches have had a dog invade the pitch. Right. That's a great stat that at one point that happened. So I, I have to I, so, I have to just find. So at this point, I, mm. I texted you. So I yeah. watched the game probably about 20 minutes ahead of you uh, before we started yeah, recording yeah. this. So there's a point where I said, mate, the best is yet to come. Uh, the best moment so far is in the second half. I was talking about Gitsoni's dropped ball where yes. he, he failed to ground a ball. And you replied saying, I clasped my, clasped my hands into my mouth. Uh, in I did. Block, like, I, proper, I, I shouted, Dolmio man, what have you done? After, like, I, properly... <gasps> I then replied, so good. Then ten minutes later, oh my God, it gets so much better. I'm crying. Oh my God. I think this is literally my favourite game of rugby ever. Oh my God, I'm crying. And then you then just, about 20 minutes later, replied saying, yes, I just got there. <laughs> Uh, clearly, you know, knowing what I meant, because like I already thought this game had everything in terms of just oh, yeah. pure shite entertainment until a dog came onto the field, and it's like you... this game truly has it all. This is my favorite game of rugby ever because a chocolate Do... labrador comes on the field. You want to see my notes? Yes. Dog on the pitch. Dog on the pitch. Do you want to see my notes? <laughs> there you are. Yeah. Also says dog on the pitch. Mine takes up about a quarter of the page because yeah, my... I lost it. I then had to write it again. Yeah. Only just smaller next to it. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, as I say, the Italian centre uh, helps to escort the dog off. He's a good boy, is, is what I but... conclude. But <laughs> the thing is, that but dog there... had no idea that it was the first ever Rugby World Cup match. How mental is that? But I, when watching it back, one of the, I think one of the person says, I'm going to guess it's the winger. Is has turned around to look at the dog as they're chasing the hook. <laughs> so the dog good. going off the pitch. That's so good. And like that is Kerwin's opposite man who should be making that tackle. Sure. Yeah. Right. And like the entire team are thrown off by the fact they've just been greeted by a dog yeah. in the middle of a game. Yeah. And it like as I say, like it runs up to Ambrosio as he's about to take the kickoff. It's so good when the, the camera pans back and then suddenly Ambrosio's got a dog next to it. <laughs> Because it's just, there's there's certain things you expect to see on a rugby field, but you just never think, you, you know, you think when the camera pans back here, I'm going to see Ambrosio put the ball on some sand and kick it off, you know? Yeah. If not, drop kick it. And then suddenly you go back and th- there we are. The 10 and 12 are having to, de- to greet a dog and give him some fuss and escort him off the pitch. 
can't believe it. I absolutely love it. Yeah. It's it's just it's the absolute greatest joy and I think it's happened every every year. Agreed. Like there should be like a power play equivalent. Yes. Where a captain's challenge. A dog on. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, like the power play in cricket they had for a bit. Mm. Where you can bring on a dog and it distracts the other yeah, team. Yeah, exactly. Or every member of the other team has to pet the dog yeah. before you remember passenger players out. Leinster, yes, before they can make a tackle. Yeah. Yeah. Leinster Toulouse a few years ago when a cat ran onto the pitch. I don't remember that. No, it was pretty good. Yeah, it went, to, good. went to extra time. And it was like really tense, you know, da, 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 da. and then a cat runs onto the pitch and kind of breaks. <laughs> like, the how pitch. do you get into the stadium if you're a cat? Like, I don't know. Was it how I'm well? <laughs> yes, he was brought on. Uh, it's, it's, uh, a well, classic, it's a classic. It's a classic. David Kirk then scores a try, but it's boring. Like, well, well no, it's oh, not no, boring. In fact, no, this one's quite try. funny actually because yeah. Ambrosio straight after this, completely baffled by the fact John Kerr has scored one of the best tries in the history of the Liverpool Cup to this day because a dog has been on the pitch, uh, and then he just he kicks <laughs> the ball straight into touch, and then Italy just go, oh, never mind, we'll go for the scrum, and they all, everyone just. Genuinely, this is the most Italy have just gotten on their bikes and ran somewhere in the whole match. They all just run to the, straight to the centre of the field because they're really up for the scrum. And the All Blacks yeah, take a quick throw. A Labrador. Like, yeah. The All Blacks yeah. take a quick throw. And it was definitely illegal. It was definitely a Mike Phillips, Matthew Reese situation because the ball went beyond John Kerwin and he's then somehow running down the touchline because the commentator then it's just goes, oh, he's off again. David Kirk. David Kirk takes the throw. Right, okay. Yeah, and Kerwin then offloads it to Kirk, who then scores. Yeah. The commentator explains the law twice that you can take a quick throw if you like from a yeah yeah from a, uh, and the full kickoff and then the other commentator says it has to be the same ball then pauses for a moment then says which it was in a very unconvincing <laughs> it, way it probably wasn't and if it was it definitely was touched by somebody because there is no chance that Kerwin got into that position on his own uh, having no you know I'm pretty sure Kerwin touched the ball and then received the throw in so you know but again like it was funny but very nicely that, taken try yeah yeah absolutely and that then meant that there were two tries since Italy last made a tackle <laughs> yes <laughs> Oh man! Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the we've then basically just got a couple more tries. It's basically just Stanley scores a try where there's some nice passing from basically all the All Blacks, and Alan Wetton scores a try at the end to sort of cap it off when yeah. he drives over. Again, decent bit kind of flowing move, and that's kind of the match really. Yeah, we then have a pitch invasion after the match. Yes, as was tradition then, of course, which is always fun. Yeah, all humans, unfortunately, but yeah. Buck Shelford looks so pissed off having signed an autograph. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Gary Wetton as well, uh, having to do the same yeah. thing. And what you notice is all the All Blacks took their shirts off to make themselves less recognisable. Because obviously uh, in their black jerseys, yeah. they were all very recognisable. So they all took their shirts off uh, after the game. Some of them swapped with Italians so they didn't get mobbed. Yeah. Which is, yeah, wild. because You then see them all walking off together. Yeah. They've all got blue shirts over the shoulder. Yes. And I assumed it was the Italian team walking off. But no. No. You know, because I don't recognise Richard Lowe's face yeah. yet. Yeah, of course. You, you then get um, uh, a lovely interview with the two captains stood next to yeah, each other. Yeah, both of them stood together, yeah. which is quite nice. The guy introduced it by saying, I've got the two successful captains yes. here with me. Oh, Christ, he really had to like dig his way out of that, didn't he? And he yeah. speaks to Innocenti, and he's just kind of like... And they're saying, like, oh, well, well done on making it through that. And he goes, no, we were bad. <laughs> what a nice man, Innocenti. Yeah, he, was, he was really smiling and just talking about how dreadful his teammates were yeah and just talking about no 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 need to compliment us we were really terrible today you know and that's just kind of his vibe in the whole interview he says the all blacks are too powerful for yeah. us we cannot live with them and like he does the nod to kirk just like you guys play well 
<laughs> he then say something like, oh, you must be thinking about Argentina next, you know, going to have to try and perform better. And he says, I only think of today's match. And then the, the, and he then goes, of course. <laughs> yeah. And then they throw over to David Kirk, the awkward teenager, who sort of fumbles through in his voice. He sounds like his voice breaks halfway through the interview. Yeah, he just kind of goes, yeah, we're all right. Like, uh, I don't think we were that good, but, you know. It's fine. The opposition weren't great. <laughs> you know, that's basically his yeah. interview. You do wonder if they should have got his mum to do the interview instead. Yeah, I think they probably should have. Or they should have got Ambrosio's mum to do the interview instead. And just they talk about the fact that Argentina are going to beat them, uh, New Zealand, by 50 points because he's heard it from an official source. That's it. Hugo Porter should have gone to David Kirk's parents. Yeah. Because, like, they could actually ground him. <laughs> that's true. It's very true. Yeah, it's true. He should have, should have got under David Kirk's skin by telling his parents that Kirk had been up to some really like shady business. You know, he yeah. said like, "Oh yeah, he just cussed my mum." Okay, fine. David's grounded. He can't play in the semi final. You know. So that oh, brings us to the end of the first game of the Rugby World Cup. Yes. I'm amazed we've done this in only an hour and a half. Yeah, yeah. I I thought this would be a two hour plus episode because just so much stuff happens. Most of it terrible. And I love it. I'm yeah. so excited to carry on with this. Like, uh, we have got Man of the Match and Dick of the Day, of course. Yeah. Still to go, which was a difficult one to pick for a variety of reasons. <laughs> uh, should we start with Man of the Match? Man of the Match. Okay. Try go first. Go on. So, I mean, as I, said, I thought Michael Jones played well. You, you know, disagreed on that. No, I think he played well. I, think... I just don't think he was exceptional. <laughs> Craig Green obviously scores a hat trick. Yeah. Um... No. Uh, John Kerwin and Grant Fox, I think, are the two standouts by a long yeah. distance. Like, they are the two players you look at and go, like, oh, they're very good at rugby, even from today's standards. Yeah. I think that Grant Fox is the best player on the pitch. And so, for that reason, my man of the match is the dog on the pitch. I'm going to show you my notes because I've written the exact same thing. Yep. So, <laughs> do we have the exact same thing in our notes? So, I've written. Yes. Yeah, 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 yes. yeah. We have, we, 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 agree. we, we, we both agree. agree. So yeah, as I say, like, I, I, about twenty minutes into the game, I wrote down as man of the match Fox. Obviously, I then put, oh yeah, Green played well and Kerwin played well, and you know, like, I kind of thought that thing of like, am I going to give Fox man of the match in every game? So I kind of don't want to do that. And then the dog appeared, and it's like, well, okay, well, I've got to give Fabio the dog because he's he's. Italian now he played for Italy okay. you know um, so we're going to call him Fabio even though he's definitely a New Zealander but still you know Granny Gate and all of that but you know I, I just think it was very generous of him to come on and try and help the Italians with their kickoff. you know like yep. so so Fabio the dog is my man of the match and also yours are we calling him Fabio? sure okay Fabio the dog is officially in <laughs> as the first two men of the match the best thing is that's going to take some beating now yeah, I really wish we had a guest on this so we could really rack up the votes on there. <laughs> okay, so do you want to go Dick of the Day now? Dick of the Day, I mean, <laughs> I feel for the poor lad. I've got two written down. One of them is the commentator for saying Green yeah. scored three tries when he only scored two. But yeah. it would be... <sighs> It would be an injustice for me to not give it to Stefano Guzzoni on his final test match. I want him to be documented within our, the Squid Rugby World Cup retrospectives records. Yes. So he has to be dick of the day for dropping the ball behind his try line and also doing the little funny skip thing and looking like the Dolmio man. Like, I, I have to give it to him. I'd be wrong not to. I just, I think it's a masterclass of dick of the day shit. Yeah. You know? He doesn't, I guess, drop the ball over the opposition trial. Sure. Line, but Italy don't get close enough. So he probably yeah, exactly, exactly. But like, and I suppose he does miss a really long range drop goal. 
other, but he does kick the ball a hell of a lot. Yeah. He basically, it's all he does is like boot the ball randomly. I, I think it's an absolute masterclass of Dick of the Day shit. And I think, yeah, Serafino Ghisoni has to be. Yeah. Absolutely has to be. I said, he's, he's out-muscled Frolic, which so few I, yeah. could do. It's just genuinely spectacular. People did not think this was possible. Yeah. But Serafino Grizzoni is a once-in-a-generation player, yeah. thankfully. Yes. Uh, so we've agreed on both of them, which rarely yeah. happens. I think that's probably the second or third time that's happened across our now three series. So that's mm. that's pretty spectacular. But both very deserved. And yes. so far, the dog is the player of the tournament. So, I want to mention something before we go. Okay. If you want to watch this game, yeah. I've started something separate for this series of the World Cup Retrospective, right? Obviously, it's hard to get hold of games from further yeah. back. Uh, I've been trying to source all of them. I've got most of the games sorted for this World Cup yeah. already. There's a handful I'm still trying to get hold of. If anyone's got a copy of Scotland's Zimbabwe from this World Cup, it'd be hugely appreciated. That's what I'm struggling on. Uh, same with Fiji Italy. But what I'm doing is I am creating a playlist on YouTube of every game from this World Cup. So if anyone wants to watch along as they're going... You can do that. You can join yeah. it. I would imagine probably so, about, throughout the tournament, probably about 90% of the games will go up on that channel, you know? Yeah. So every game is going to be on YouTube. Either I'm going to upload them or they're up already, right? So I have uploaded to a channel called Uncle Boon Me Who Can Recall Past World Cups. This match we've just been talking about, New Zealand v Italy. If you just type in New Zealand v Italy, 1987, Rugby World Cup, whatever, it will come up. It will be there. The match in full. It's in a playlist. And I have, at the time of putting this podcast up, put the next two games in. So the next match is Romania against Zimbabwe. We're going to be coming at that the following week. And then Australia against England, which will be coming back on with a guest after that. So those matches are coming soon. And those matches will be available in the playlist on the Uncle Boon Me Who Can Recall Past World Cups channel. If you want to have a look at that, please do. And yeah, feel free to watch along at the games if you want to. I know some people asked in the previous World Cup of like, they were watching the games as we went or some people asking if they, you know, could find copies of them to do that. So I want to do that from the start for this World Cup. So yeah, we should, we should have... Completely optional, you know, if you want to listen to yeah. just us ramble about it, that's might be yeah, the best yeah, way yeah. forward. But if you've got a lot of time on your hands... If, look, if you're missing sport on a Tuesday and you feel like you fancy watching something exactly. with your pizza or whatever, then, you know, go, go for it. There's it's some extra option, sport for you, know? you if you want it. Yeah. This World Cup lasts 32 games, so we're going to cover them all yeah. in full, in detail. Yeah, um, we're exclusively going to talk about rugby this time. We're never, ever, ever going to go yeah, off topic yeah. or talk about anything else. Yeah, though The Untouchables is very, very good. Okay, oh, okay, okay. we'll talk about that in a few episodes time, I think. So, yeah, we've got some really good guests lined up, I think, for this time. Some really good guests we're hoping to get on yeah. that we've got yeah, jotted down for the list. And loads more coming, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm very excited to go with the series, especially after how this game kicked off. You know, it was everything yeah. we imagined it would be in terms of really terrible rugby and terrible everything surrounding rugby. So uh, I love it. I'm here for it. It's genuinely, as I say, that up there with the most I've enjoyed rugby in the last year or two, you know, this game yeah. that we just watched. So uh, this one is a strong recommend to go back and watch because there are a lot of good moments. It's worth at least thumbing through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's worth at least having a look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can maybe pop into the you know comments or description or something some timestamps. That's a good idea. Drop, drop, um, I can go through that if you want. I've got a few written down. Yeah, yeah. 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 Happy to do that. So you've got those if anyone wants to go back and check for the, the moments we talked about quite a bit. Sure. Because it's worth going We probably won't do this for every game, but for this one, no, this no, no. significant. Yeah. For every now and again. So, as we say, the next game is Romania against Zimbabwe. Which looks like a bit of a banger. It does. I've been very excited for this one for a long time now. We will be sans guests once again, but we'll see you 
very soon. For that, remaining at Zimbabwe, 1987. Let's go. Thank you for listening. Thank you, we'll you and goodbye. Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.